0: Appalachia, the word that evokes a whole passel of reactions. Everything from the beauty of a mountaintop to trailer parks, drugs, and about everything in between. The Appalachian Mountains are indeed the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air. They stretch from eastern Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The folks who live in these mountains have faced an unending number of tragic and Just plain odd happenings that cry out for the telling. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and I was born and raised in these very mountains by a family who themselves were born, raised, and lived for generations in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. Come with me and we'll take a look at some of the unending stories that come from within my beloved mountains. And we'll look through the eyes of an old Appalachian at some outside the area as well. Welcome to Season 4 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Howdy my good friends, welcome back. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for stopping by. I always say that the Appalachian Mountains are chock full of odd happenings. Most folks think that these odd happenings took place way back in early history and can readily be explained nowadays. Oh, and we got a whole parcel of them to work through, but this one about took the cake when I read it and the whole story that was. And uh, it wasn't long ago and the maniac was working his magic all over the place. And by magic, I mean killing folks. And that would be just the beginning of the whole twisted mess. Just so come on in and take your shoes off, set a spell, and let me tell you about the Appalachian cannibal, Folks, Joe Matheny, had always been a rough individual. He had a rough childhood filled to the top, smashed down, shooken and running over with neglect, uh, among other things. From an absent, alcoholic father to a mother forced to work extra shifts to support her six children. Uh, they lived in Essex, Maryland, which is near Baltimore, by the way. Not too many other details are known about the younger years, but his mother says that he <clears throat> joined the army in 1973 when he was 19. That's when she lost touch. And so it seems that once Joe left, he didn't look back. After he got out of the army, he went to work at, at lumber yards and as a truck driver. Somehow, he and his girlfriend, who he referred to as his wife, wound up with a drug problem. But then came the thing that touched off his powder keg of vengeance which started the whole thing. In 1994, while Joe was living with his girlfriend and their six-year-old son in South Baltimore, at that time he was a truck driver, which meant that he was on the road for long stints of time. You know, being over-the-road drivers, that's just the life they live. Tougher than I am, I tell you that. One day, he came home to find his girlfriend gone, along with her son. It looked like the Grinch swung by and took everything he had, including his family. Now, joe had <clears throat> found out that she'd left with another man and took to living on the streets with him and uh, of course he flew into a rage because that's the way joe was now he spent days looking for him he checking halfway houses even under a certain bridge that he knew his wife used to hang out and buy drugs folks this guy was mad with the capital m a and a d and he wasn't just wanting to find them so he knew <clears throat> know where his son was He was looking to kill them both and take his son back. And once he got to poking around under that bridge that he was talking about, or we were just talking about, he couldn't find his wife or the man she'd run off with. So what he did find was two homeless men who he thought maybe knew her. They may as well had, because when he asked nicely, they told him that they didn't even know who he was talking about, let alone where she might be. And of course, that flew all over him. And he killed both of them with an axe that he just be, happened to be holding on to at the time. Now, once he finished off both of them, he lured a sex worker down under the bridge and tried to beat the information out of her. Before he knew it, he'd beat her plumb to death. So he crammed her body in some bushes, and by golly, he went out looking for another sex worker. Somebody got to know something. So she went down under the bridge with him, and well, she faced the same fate as the last one. As he was cramming her body into some bushes, he noticed a fisherman nearby that probably saw the whole thing. Just in case he did see the whole thing, Joe whacked him to death, too, with a steel pipe that he just happened to find laying on the ground. Some folks might check these off as crimes of passion, but he'd soon enough develop taste for it. As soon as he realized what he did, he kind of panicked. He said, and this is his own words, and threw all the bodies, and the axe and the steel pipe all in the river to hide the evidence. So he did find out his son's whereabouts about six months later, when he found out that his girlfriend had moved to the other side of town with a drug dealer, that yes, sure enough, everything was true, and they were sex working for drugs. So he found that out because by they both uh, got busted for drugs and they took his son away from him for child neglect or from them from child neglect and child abuse. and being that he had a criminal record and a house with pretty much nothing in it and a job that kept him away from home for long periods of time. There wasn't about to be way in the world he was going to get his son back. So word got around, which led back to the police, who then arrested Joe for the murders of the two men under the bridge. And he spent a year and a half in the county jail waiting for his trial. But a week into the trial... The charges were just dismissed because he'd dumped the bodies in the river and investigators couldn't find them or the hatchet or the axe or the pipe or nothing else to do with anything. Not to mention, the other three that they didn't know about, they didn't find them either. Now, without physical evidence tying him to the crimes that they don't even know if they happened or not, without Joe telling them, they wouldn't have known. But that comes later. Joe danced right out the front door free man, and picked right up where he left off. Which was getting vengeance out of his miss for his missing wife and his her new beau. And at least that's what he was telling himself in his mind. This time, something was different though. He spent a year and a half in jail, you know, waiting for trial. So while many of us who might mess up and wind up into pokey would probably straighten ourselves up and after dodging a bullet like that, not Joe, jail time had clearly done squat to slow him down, you know. Shortly after being released, he went straight back to work and murdered two more sex workers when they failed to provide him with the information about his missing girlfriend. Apparently, she'd been released on bond from the drug charges and disappeared, and Joe was still all about putting an end to her. This time, he had a better idea for getting rid of the bodies, though. The idea that would give him his nickname, Sloppy Joe. Instead of chunking them in the river and stand there laughing while the water sucked them down like normal abnormal human serial killer would do. Joe dragged the bodies home. There he field dressed, butchered, and stored the meatiest parts of them in Tupperware containers. What <clears throat> didn't fit in his freezer, he buried and lot out in the truck lot that was owned by the pallet company that he worked for. Looks to me like he was murdering folks for sport and claiming that it was revenge, but I reckon that's just me. I'm not a psychologist, although I don't mind throwing my two cents in when I get the chance at one of these monsters. Folks, it's going to get real ugly. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. folks, over the next several weekends, Joe mixed the murder victims, well I guess you'd call it flesh, in with the beef and pork, forming it into nice little patties, which he went right out and sold in his barbecue stand that he'd opened on the side of the road, just to make a little extra income. His customers, at least all who came by during that time, ate the murder evidence without so much as suspecting a thing. Whenever he needed more of what I'd refer to as his special meat, or what he'd refer to as his special meat, not me. But uh, a Sloppy Joe would just go out and find another sex worker. And when she failed to answer the questions she didn't know anything about, or maybe he'd even find a vagabond and do the same thing with them, he'd just uh, do away with them. I reckon in his mind he was getting vengeance for his girlfriend somehow. Or from his girlfriend, I reckon. I don't know what sense that makes. It certainly doesn't to me, but of course... <coughs> I don't believe that for a minute, you know. I had to give somebody some kind of a reason to run with it, or you know, as good as he could, I guess, as good as he could come up with. Uh, he'd later say nobody complained about the meat tasting funny. In fact, not one of them noticed that his burgers had a little something extra in them, he said. Sloppy Joe Matheny, he finally got caught in 1996, when he went after more meat in the form of a woman named Rita Camper who managed to escape his death trap and do exactly what any of us would have done, that being run straight to the police as you get there. When the police arrested Sloppy Joe for the assault in <clears throat> December of 1996, they expected him to put up a fight, what with him being six foot one, weighing 450 pounds, and that being nothing but spring, steel, and raw hide from lumber work and a tendency to fly off the handle on top of that. At the very least, they expected some kind of resistance, but uh, he was waiting by the gate of the lumber yard, smoking a cigarette, and went right with them peacefully as a kitten, which made them wonder just what in the hell was up. At least it wouldn't me. Of course, they wanted to have a nice sit-down with him, and he was more than happy to have a chat. During his nice little back-and-forth with the officers, he willingly offered up a confession about that about knocked their hats in the creek. He gave details... About each of his murders, even mentioning the murder of the fisherman from several years before. According to his confession, he killed at least 10 people, five of which had been sold as meat and hamburgers in his barbecue stand. Police believe that there's no reason that he would have stopped if they hadn't caught him when they did, and I don't blame them. I'll save you the caterwauling and great gnashing of teeth from the trial and say that the jury marched straight out of the deliberations and waved the paper under his nose with guilty stamped on it 12 times. When they came out from the penalty phase and sentenced sloppy Joe Matheny to death, uh, of course uh, there was a judge that didn't like the way they did business, and as such overturned the verdict in 2000 and changed it to two consecutive life sentences. I reckon that means when he dies, they put him in a box and leave him in his cell till the warden dies. I'm not sure exactly how they're supposed to work, but I'd imagine something like that. When asked if he had anything to say before they sentenced a piece of dog squeeze, he said these words, I'm I'm sorry, it will never come out of my mouth, it'd be a lie. I'm more than willing to give up my life for what I've done, to have God judge me and send me straight to hell for eternity. Fact is, I enjoyed it. The only thing I feel bad for any of this is I didn't get to murder the 2 Mfers that I was really after. On goes time, and 2017 came, and that's when the guards went in and found sloppy Joe Matheny curled up like a wet fish in his cell at the Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They pronounced him dead shortly after that. No, they didn't grind him up and make him into hamburgers, I don't think. They did cremate him. Well, you know, I bet grass never grows wherever they sowed his ashes. Folks, I hope you got something out of our story today. Sometimes it's hard to believe that somebody can be that blame evil. That's why this type of thing needs to be told and needs to come out of the dark, and everybody needs to hear it so you know what to look for. If you like the podcast, throw us a rate and review on whatever podcatcher you're listening You can come on over to Facebook, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast before we talk Appalachian or about anything else you want to bring up. I'll be right back real soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend, and I will see you then.